Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartim, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. Okay, everyone. Well, welcome into the Apex Hour. What a cool day it is. We're here today talking about music. And, uh, you know, that's something that is so near and dear to my heart. And we've just been celebrating the demystification of classical music. And my guest today is the Apex guest for this week. And that is the violist and classical music sensation, Drew Ford. Welcome into the studio, Drew. Hi. Oh, sensation. Oh, stop. Thank Come you. on. Take it. Live it. Breathe it. Love it. Oh, so that ah, sensation, man, that is a that is a superlative I never thought would be associated with me. So thank you. Yeah, cool. Um, And then I'm just going to see if you can give me a little bit more gain. I've got you boosted up yeah. as far as I can here. That would be amazing. For sure. How's that? Is That's that great. Sweet. Thank cool. you. Yeah, these these sure SM7Bs like they have such low gain, and even with a cloud lifter, sometimes you just don't have enough signal. So I just don't want to peak your system. That was no, like, you won't. I I could even use more if you want to give me more. Okay. <laughs> How's that? Is that is that good? Even better. Is that good? Cool. Even better. Cool. Awesome. So we're talking about classical music and I just want to dig in. We're we're live on air. And so some people may not know a little bit about your story. Um, if you could give us just a little snapshot of how you came to be. And a lot of people know you as an Instagram sensation, YouTube sensation. Um, but tell us just a little bit about how you got from there to here. Well, um, the, it, it, it it's kind of crazy because like it's it seems like it's been a while now i started playing when i was 12 when i was 12 ah. years old um in sixth grade i had pre i had previously in fifth grade been in chorus and band i was in chorus in fourth grade i always had music classes in the school um from when i was a in pre-K, I went to a really nice elementary school, Peachtree City Elementary, and we had a music teacher named Mrs. Groover. It's a perfect name, right? <laughs> <Awesome>. So <laughs> Mrs. Groover was always teaching us about music, always having us clap and sing. And but it was just they gave us recorders, you know, but it, it wasn't giving me like the tools that I felt that I I needed. I learned how to read music through that class. I learned how to feel and count rhythm. Right. Uh, but I didn't like, I wasn't given an instrument until I was in fifth grade. And that was really annoying to me because <laughs> I wanted an instrument as soon as I saw one. Yeah, it was in your <laughs> blood from the get-go, it sounds like. Yeah, but it took a while. It was delayed gratification. So mm-hmm. uh, sixth grade came around and I finally thought you know, the the original instruments that I kind of wanted to play were in band. It was earlier in my life. So I had an opportunity. I had earlier access, 
But, you know, I, I was told that my lips were too big to play flute. Yeah. Um, I couldn't really make a sound from a trumpet or a clarinet or a saxophone. And so, you know, I kind of gave up on wind instruments. And I was just like, let me just hit stuff. So I did percussion. Yeah. <clears throat> but it wasn't my passion. That wasn't really like the part of me that felt like it was able to, to sing. Yeah. In the way that I felt like I my soul wanted to sing. And so when I had the opportunity to do strings, I jumped on that opportunity because I always felt like my my soul was singing. It wasn't it wasn't like bumping. You yeah, know? And, I love it. So. Well, you know, one of the things that I think is a bit mystifying to people is what is the life of a professional musician? I mean, you and I know that being professional musicians but- sucks. I'm just <laughs> Well, sometimes I think every job does, you know, and as much as we are so lucky to be passionate about what we do, you know, there's challenges too. So I'd love for you to tell me, you know, um, kind of what are some of the great joys for you in being a professional musician? And also what are some of the most challenging things? The the thing that I love most about music is it, it, it allows me to live my life, uh, in a way that I get money by making people's days better. Like one thing, my really good friend uh, from Juilliard, uh, he's a, he's a wonderful, magnificent writer. His name is John Hong. He, in one of his blogs, when we were in school once said, uh, people work nine to five to make a living, but our job is to make five to nine worth living. Oh, I love that. You that know, is so awesome. It's like, yeah. And so it's like a the bar of a century, right? And I was like, that's so true. Wow. And so that's equally valid. But if you're going to make people's lives from five to nine worth living, those are weird hours. People are usually turned off during that time. So your hours immediately, like for people who don't know, like musician hours are completely different from yours. So true. Like, we're on demand to be available at 9 p.m. and perform till one in the morning so y'all can boogie. And then we got to go to sleep. We got to sleep sometime. Yeah. So musicians tend to like wake up um, like naturally, especially gigging musicians and like jazz musicians. People work super late. Waking up at like 10, yeah. 11, and that's normal. Yeah. Right. Especially DJs and producers who are doing clubs and, and doing the late night touring scene. Yeah. They don't wake up before noon. Okay. And that's just normal. You just got to deal with it. I know we're weird. <laughs> but I, I, the thing I love, and to answer your question, because I'm going off on a tangent, like I just love how I get to exchange my time, my limited, unknowable amount of time on this earth. I love sharing it with people for money uh, in the exchange of like making their life happier and more vibrant and full. Yeah. I love that that too. What, what's hard about it? Um, in your, in your eyes, in your perspective right now, what, what are the challenges of being a professional musician? Uh, Everything else, (laughs) (laughs) everything else is hard about it. Yeah. Um, there's nothing easy about it. Like that, that's the thing. It's like every day is like, you wake up and it's a mission. Right. Like even if you take a day off, that could be a catastrophic failure in your part. 
um, because you could miss out on an opportunity. And like the, the more tenuous your situation is in terms financially or just schedule wise, every day off feels like torture sometimes. So like what I find is to kind of stave that away, it's good to have some financial security um, so you can take time, but mm-hmm. often musicians, the worst part about it is you never have a day off, no zero days. Like you don't get weekends, you don't get holidays, you don't get this, you don't get that because you have to work and you have to build and you have to grow and you have to change and you have to market and you have to, all these other things that people don't really, uh, understand about what is required for us to be on stage performing the magic. I that's absolutely so true and and you know it is you're always you're always on in some way. I mean, you could uh, that that old adage, you could always be practicing. You could always be networking, you could always be and um, one of the things that I was curious about is 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 this something that you came to find out? I mean, I know that when you were, you mentioned when you were in school, you know, maybe you struggled a bit and, and weren't as motivated and weren't as driven. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit about that realization. I'm, I'm thinking how helpful that could be, especially to students. Cause you know, I have students tell me all the time, like, oh, I want to compose for video games and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's amazing, but I just don't know if everybody realizes <coughs> what it, what it takes. So how did you come to find that out? Well, it was early on. It was like, uh, the social media move was the realization. It was like, no, wait a minute. You have to, this is a job. It's like, this is your passion. You now have to treat it like it's a job. Right. And you can fire yourself. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you have to give yourself permission. And I told myself, if I don't really make any substantial gains, I'm willing to sacrifice everything. I'm willing to sacrifice love. I'm willing to sacrifice financial, like, uh, expe- like expedience, Ease, like yeah. getting a mm-hmm. better, easier job, doing something I hate. Um, I'm willing to sacrifice uh, respect, like cultural respect among your, among my peers. Uh, because whenever you're building anything from the ground up, people always look at you funny because, yes, you look funny and you <laughs> look awkward and you don't know what you're doing. And everybody knows it, <laughs> so especially true. you and people comment. So it's like, how do you it's all of these different things with every musician. Whenever you're starting your career, you don't you don't have the performance experience. So you make the mistakes. You make all these crazy different mistakes. Everybody's looking at you being like "Mm, (laughs) you sure you don't want to just get a real job (laughs) right you have to those are all of the entry points and all the negative things that you have to like get through in the beginning and so i i I told myself i would accept all of that for 10 years and if after 10 years nothing happens you're fired yeah go get a real job yeah i love it that was But that was just that time limit, like put enough fire under my butt to really uh, live up to the expectations, like always arriving on time early if possible. Yes. You'll make mistakes. So it's just better when you make your mistakes that it's just a one time thing, a legendary occurrence where it's like, yeah, I remember though, like 12 years ago, there was this one moment that he was late. (laughs) Yeah. Damn. 
I know. You know, you want to ha- you want to have that reputation, right? Where it's like once in a decade mistakes. Right. So just accepting those things and just really working hard was like how I shifted from that kind of insecure place. It was just the mindset change. That's yeah. all it is. Just a yeah. mindset change. I 100% agree. Thank you. Well, let's get into some music. Um, you have a couple of original uh, works, original pieces online, and um, mm-hmm. we definitely want to uh, make sure to tell people where to find them, but let's listen to them. Um, I have Duality queued up. I wonder if you could cool. tell us a little bit about that track. Yeah, Duality is uh, the first ever uh rap song i ever created and it shows <laughs> but but uh what what i what it's about is just a general autobiographical braggadocio type uh flow and and lyric narrative that like really kind of conveys like where i'm from what i'm trying to do what i'm about and uh yeah i hope you enjoy i wrote it all in japan Really? Yeah, yeah, when I was visiting Japan, so. Oh my gosh, cool. All right. Well, this artist is uh, Drew Ford. You can find him on uh, Spotify as That Viola Kid. Um, The song is called Duality, and you're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. Yup, it's TPK, young kid play some VLA Yo chick thick, she feed me trays Peaches in the chat, that's PDA I'm so cray, see me slay Fake niggas all day if they in my way Got three stacks, like my name Andre Competition can forget it cause I'm in first place But I really keep a track when I run this race My cleats be digging in the grass, don't bother giving chase I'm on a path, you cannot fathom in a foreign land You be frozen like you didn't go to eat your hungry man Duality like light, particle and wave Classical rap so nice, it's bound to be embraced I'm just being me, awkward your book face Dr. Neil Tyson the music, call me outer space Hundred on a dash, on a inner state Technicolor splash, stoic inner state I'ma serve you, wow, all up on your plate Ooh, I'm swerving now, gotta keep it straight Cause you don't know how far I've come I won't stop until I've won A chance he took, chose to for a dream Proved much rougher and we're tougher than it seemed that he trusted, thought was on his team Told him you unworthy kid, you'll never make it on the scene Luckily that kid didn't do much for this kid Cause he knew an opinion wasn't good to define him Many years went by without a word from the witch He went to Juilliard, now ain't that a bitch Adolescent boy, 12 years old Hipster kid with the moon high goals It didn't phase him when the kids are picking violence He knew that one day VLA was gonna pay the dividends Masters on a partial scholar Shit, playing but the rules never got him Shit, Julia was the pinnacle that left him more the cynical that higher than the ceiling It's gonna take a America to Pay the, pay the bills, that shit give me chills Evil at my back, that's Professor Quill You all know the deal, that's no way to live Sit my spilling heart, got no fucks to give Cause you don't know how far I've gone I won't stop until I Oh 
All right, everyone. Well, welcome back to the Apex Hour. This is Lynn Vartan. You are listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. The song you just heard is titled Duality, and the artist as listed on Spotify is That Viola Kid. And we know that That Viola Kid is Drew Ford, who is here in the studio with us. Welcome back, Drew. What's good? That song, we were just talking about the story behind it and, and just the power of the duality in it. You know, you have classical music references, references to Juilliard. You have risque language a bit because it's really true to, to who you are and your story and, and things that have happened and people who influenced you in a bad way in some cases. Do you want to comment any more on that sense of duality and how it came out in the music? Well, I, I, I w- it's hard to like come up with new ideas. Like ideas are so hard. And for me, uh, music uh, has always been a very, the generation of original music has always been a very hard and difficult thing for me to do because my whole training and relationship with music has been transactional in that I can read a piece of music. I can deliver this sound. Just tell me what to do. Right. That part of my brain of being able to follow directions, but to be a leader and to create your own original music is, has always been a block for me. So the only thing that I could really like latch onto in the moment when I was forcing myself to write music finally was this idea of <clears throat> I'm this classically trained dude who loves Brahms, Shostakovich and Ravel and I'm trying to make hip hop, even though like I came from uh, an upbringing that was not necessarily the same as the originators of hip hop. Right. You know, I, I didn't, I came up in a suburban lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I didn't want to co-opt the opt the art form without, without being, while being disrespectful. So it was like, how do I, how do I balance the two? How do I, as a classical musician, really live in the duality between classical and hip hop? And how do I give respect for this art form that I love, but I haven't, re- I don't have the typical experience of it. And, and how do I do that in a way that is authentic and yeah. real? You mentioned authenticity, and I, I think that's a thread that you have been so dedicated to and and that authenticity of self and, and being um, true to yourself in so many ways. And um, I, I just wonder, is that, uh, is that very comfortable now? Is that still scary at times? I can imagine that there's a vulnerability that comes along with that that is scary sometimes. It's scary all the time. Ah. It, it's scary all the time because like every time you, you show that you're vulnerable, you give people. So if you like slice right here, that'll, that'll, that'll do it. Right. Yeah. That'll right really, on your neck. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. This is a podcast <laughs> radio show. Sorry. Um, I was, I was uh, pointing to like the, uh, a, a vein or an the artery in carotid the artery or whatever carotid that one artery. Is, yeah. yeah like here just this will be a good place <laughs> if you want to hurt me right and i think that that uh takes a lot of strength and a lot of people perceive that as arrogance or a lot of people perceive that as whatever they want to perceive it 
But I think that's what prevents people from wanting to be fully authentic. It lets people hide behind perfection. It lets people hide behind all these other things that can maybe uh, shield them from ultimately what could be a potential a potential ostracization ah. from society, which is everybody's deepest yeah. fear. Hiding yeah. behind perfection. I, mm-hmm. I love the sound of that. I feel like that scares me a bit, you know, being someone who tries to be perfect too. I, I, I'm going to have to think about that a lot, you know. And what, what tools do you use to sort of fight that vulnerability? Do you just um, stay true and not worry too much about failure? I know you've talked on, on other podcasts about failure being part of the process and, and not being afraid of that. Is that the way? I, I think it's a, it's a combination. I think it's, it's a cocktail of many different, um, uh, many different supplements and, and, uh, things like that. So part of it is the failure. I think failure is not just a part of the process. And I think I'm going to stop saying that. I think it's an ingredient of success. Like uh, you can't have it right without it. Like, it, because failure means not, it doesn't mean you're bad or wrong. It means you did something yeah. right. It means that you, you went out and you actually spent time and you actively did something. Whereas like, if you want to avoid failure, you you could just like not do anything. But when you don't do anything, time passes you by. Yeah. And right. then the pain of that compounds over and over and over into this idea of regret because we're not living to be our most self-actualized self. And And I think that that's a struggle that everybody has to deal with. So that fear of failure is actually just the wrong thing to have. Mm. It, 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 it's it's not the failure is inevitable, and you need to just accept it. And then the moment that you can kind of do that and realize that, then authenticity it it just becomes uh, a matter of being who you are, uh, being passionate about what you're really passionate about, and being unapologetic about it. Yeah. Uh, and then just kind of accepting whatever comes your way. I love it. That's great. Well, you mentioned some classical composers, and I want to get into classical music a bit. Yeah. Uh, so you are a fan, it sounds like, of Brahms, oh, Shostakovich, yeah. Ravel, you mentioned. Oh, yeah. What do you love about Brahms? What is it about Brahms? And I'm I'm going to ask you about Shostakovich and Ravel, too. Like, what cool. is it about those guys? And let's start with Brahms. Why do you love yes. Brahms? There's so much to love about Brahms. Um, Brahms is the quintessential case study for imposter syndrome. Uh, having really wanted to be a composer his entire life, he actually he actually was unable to uh, at first study composition. His father, who was a failing uh, musician in Hamburg. Uh, he just got by. He was not that good, but he was like the only bassist. So they were like, I guess we're going to have Johann Jacob come through and give us some beats, right? Okay. But you, little little young Brahms wanted to be like his dad and like be a musician, but he wanted to compose music. Like that was a deep passion. So Johann Jacob put him in piano lessons because he was like, composers don't make money. 
<clears throat> you know, then this is like 18, this is like 1839 or so. Yeah. This is Brahms is around six or so. And what's so crazy is like he, he was taking these piano lessons uh, as a child and it was eventually starting to get kind of good at piano. But he wanted to get good at piano so he could compose more. Like that was still his driving force. And eventually he started getting a teacher helping him compose. But his father was like, okay, kid, like, look, you're trying to compose and trying to like learn piano and stuff. These are kind of expensive. These lessons are expensive. So you're going to start paying for them yourself. (laughs) So get a job, 12 year old. So when he was between when he was age 10 and 12, Uh, I forget exactly when he started. He started performing piano music in brothels for sailors. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, Hamburg is a port city. So they had a lot of uh, pubs and and seedy brothels for the men that work at sea. And uh, Brahms, to make money to pay for his passion, would have to go and perform in these brothels. And these men would sexually assault him. Oh. The brothel women would sexually assault him over wow. and over and over. Wow. Uh, and it destroyed his relationship with women for the rest of his life. He yeah. was unable to connect with women. Um, and uh, yeah, it just kind of messed him up forever. So like <laughs> these childhood traumas, he then took on forward in his life. Uh, and they manifested an insecurity about his compositions, mm. insecurity about writing letters, insecurity about every aspect of who he was as a person. He was determined ultimately to uh, kind of write the narrative of the type of person he was by eliminating, burning anything that wasn't perfect wow. about him. Yeah. So that he would just be the legend who was known for his music, not this kid who was systematically raped and abused yeah. in as a child. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so this whole thing manifested, even though he was lauded as the next Beethoven by Robert Schumann. This is the guy. This is the successor to the great Germanic compositional tradition. You can't get higher praise than this, right? He still was burning for decades his first symphony, drafts of his first symphony. Countless, countless uh, drafts were gone. And we don't know how good they were. They could have been dope. But when he was 40, he finally published his first symphony. But he had been a composer for well over 22 years. It was the imposter syndrome. It was like this need for perfection that kind of destroyed... Maybe in a scent in his career that could have happened 15 years sooner. Mm. So sometimes we're just our worst enemy. And that's why Brahms is one of my favorite composers because he's like all of us. Like we all have our issues or stuff that we have hung up that prevent us from being who we are supposed to be. And the key ingredient is getting through those emotional struggles and really addressing them um, so that we can be the most wonderful version of ourselves. Well, with that, we have to listen to some Brahms. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I have the first symphony. Yeah. I have the first symphony C minor. I have the first movement of that. And of Mm -hmm. course, I mean, it's, it's too long to play for our show, but we'll play about three or four minutes of it. So we can really feel, I mean, the power in that opening. 
Oh, yeah. this opening just tells you everything you need to know about Brahms. Absolutely. Everything. So with that, let's hear everything that you need to know about Brahms. This is um, Brahms' first symphony in C minor, and this is um, the opening of the first movement of that. And you're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1.
Okay, well, that gives you a sense of some Brahms here. So that was, again, Symphony Number no. 1 in C minor, um, Opus 68, if you're interested. And that was the opening of the first movement of it. Um, you're listening to KSU Youth under 91.1. I'm in the studio with that viola kid, Drew Ford. And we're talking about classical music. And we just were talking about the power of Brahms and, and his um, tragic story uh, mm-hmm. that led to this amazing output of music that we have now. Uh, representing that romantic era. So welcome back, Drew. Let's talk some more about composers. You also cool. love Shostakovich and Ravel. Tell mm-hmm. me why. Well, um, at first, if I'm being very honest, it's because they write well for the viola. And, they, <laughs> <laughs> and the, their music wasn't ever boring to me. Like, <clears throat> one of the things about being a violist is oftentimes – like composers will just give you nothing to do. You're just kind of <laughs> filling in the harmony and the rhythm. And it's, it's like not playing fun. the triangle also. We know it as percussionists. <laughs> no melodies. No melodies ever. We never get melodies. But with Ravel and, and Shostakovich and more of these composers like Brahms and in the latter 19th century and the turn of the 20th century, Viola was actually uh, way more well-received and way more highly thought of and the virtuosity of the players was beginning to reflect that especially at the end of the late 19th century but the whole reputation before then still kind of like plays out today in all the viola jokes that exist and stuff so <laughs> i don't like that i, I like know. to be the, the counter example yeah <laughs> <laughs> but anyway shostakovich uh specifically i love how his music, I love his story even more than some of his music because yeah. of the, the, how he was like the composer, an a national composer in a place like the USSR. Yeah. Where they controlled every message that went out to the people, even the fine art. And he had to work under these kinds of conditions conditions so he had to get super crazy resourceful and cute and like uh smirky in the way that he composed music because oh, I like that. Stalin Stalin couldn't know that he was making fun of him right <laughs> right yeah. thus smirky he was smirky so he would have to write uh uh like pieces for the army or festival festivals and things like that. So he has this festive overture that's really fun to perform. Right. And it's really happy and really, really, really happy. It's almost too happy. It's like, what are we really saying? Yeah. Right. We're smiling, but is it like a smile as we're raising the middle finger under the table? Like, and that's what it kind of feels like. And I love that. And understanding that context creates a much more deep relationship with his music because his chamber music is way more real because that's not what was really played in the courts. Right. That was the stuff that people played. And so he was way more of like the hip hop, if you're doing the hip hop, uh, uh, comparison. He was way more NWA. Yeah. He, yeah. In his quartets, it was way more abstract. And, yeah, the quartets are totally different than other music. The hardest thing, the hardest string quartet 
piece I've ever performed is his 12th string quartet yeah. in D flat major. It is the third movement of that is nuts. <laughs> Absolutely. Un- I can't even believe I played that piece of music right. and learned it in like three weeks. It was, it was the most terrifying thing ever. <laughs> now, what, now what about Ravel? I mean, Ravel's yeah. so different than Shostakovich and Brahms. What is it about Ravel? Is it the uh, vaguely impressionist quality? Is it the the bit of jazz that's in it? What is it about Ravel? So Ravel is a composer that I haven't read much about. Uh, but as a performer and as a musician, I have not played a piece of music of his that I don't like and don't actually love. And I think it is... Uh, the quality of the harmony mm-hmm. that's super different. It has the jazz elements, which yeah. I'm already familiar with and love <clears throat> and he uses jazz theory. So he's building seventh chords. He also used the whole tone scale a lot. Mm-hmm. And for me, the whole tone scale and playing around that creates this timeless uh, stretching of, or suspension of like, uh, time it feels, mm. or just in terms of what harmony means, right. uh, the the consonants and dissonance pull. It's like this neutral push and pull, yeah. and so that makes me feel nostalgic for a time that I've never been to. You know, and That's I love cool, that feeling of nostalgia. Do you feel a bit? I mean, I know I sometimes feel this. I feel a feel a bit like a time traveler. You know, when I play, do you feel that? It seems like you maybe feel that as well. I once said in like a YouTube video like five years ago <laughs> that like um excuse me uh, the air quality in Los Angeles is terrible yeah it just has me has me coughing because yeah. I have the window open my apologies no so no. Uh, what what I love what I said in that video that kind of like I didn't realize it until I said it was like being able to play music of Shostakovich and Ravel and all and Bach. These dudes who wrote stuff like 300, 200, 100 years ago, they would have never thought about a black kid from Peachtree City, Georgia, connecting with them on a daily basis. And they feel like friends. They feel like real people who existed. And I get to be a part of their story. I love that. Um, and that's it, the key cool. to bringing classical music to to the wider audience, you know. But how do we do that on a global level? I mean, you're doing it yeah. as an individual. I'm trying to do it as an individual. But how do we how do we make that into a tide where the storytelling that that connection across the the hundreds of years, across the centuries, how how do we turn the tide? How do we do that for classical music? Well, we have to we have to understand that the perspective of the Western cultured white man is not indicative. It's not the only experience of life. It's not the only point of view that matters. And so, but if you look at any lineup of any classical music performance in a, in an institutional sense, that is exclusively who gets their stories told. Right. And so I think that that is really alarming if you want to engage the entire world, because most of the world is not a rich white man. You know what I mean? But yeah, you believe classical music is for everyone and it's, and, and Mm -hmm. these, these feelings, you know, or these, um, we can make these connections to the feelings. We can, uh, explore feelings through the, through the music as well. So how about that part of it? 
Well, I, I think that, yeah, inherently, <clears throat> all music is for everyone. Right. That and that and that's like what is really cool about it. I think the the template, and even though it has many flaws in the systems of how work was passed on, how work was inspired, who inspired Mozart, who inspired all these people that we never heard about. Right. It may have been just like a person playing in a pub who was a refugee from a far flung country of a different culture. Like we see the influences. Uh, one thing I really enjoyed about Bartok was that he kind of cited his sources in his music. Yeah. And it was music of ethnically different people. Yeah. Vaughn Williams is another example mm. of a composer who really uh, found even, and this is what's so crazy is like Dvorak gets a big pat on the back in pedagogical history for, uh, being one of the only composers in history to really try to listen to Native American and African American music and put it in the Western classical tradition. Right. So, but see, that's the thing. It's like the outliers. These are all outliers yeah. when they, if you really want to connect. So I think it's more of a yes and situation. Oh, ah, yeah. Yes, we should still. Uh, give a basis because like, look, we can't go back in history necessarily. Let's try to amend whatever we can right. through what we do know, but we try to suppress right. in our media and in, mm -hmm. in, in the pedagogy. But we also have to take into consideration that a lot of that history was erased. So it's yeah. not like we can talk about the black Mozart in the same vivid detail as right. the Mozart. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is, move forward and understand how classical music plays a role in society, right? A role in pop culture and also um, mainstream culture and find a way, but we just have to understand that it'll never be huge, yeah. right? But we have to understand and intelligently place ourselves among culture in a way that is akin to the 21st century. Because if we just try to like, do ads in the newspaper forever, newspapers are going to disappear yeah. pretty soon, at least in their current, in, right. in, in the form that we understand them right. uh, physically. Yeah. So I, I think the lack of adaptation is also the, it's how things die. Right. So right. I, I think that we just have to change the way that we disseminate it and we teach it. Yeah. Okay, great. That's very inspiring. Thank you so much. I think it's time for another of your songs. Oh, snap. So I have figure eights of heartbreak. And again, you can find um, this music on Spotify, That Viola Kid. Um, and also, you can, of course, find Drew all over social media, That Viola Kid. Um, and please definitely go and continue to support him in the years to come. Um, Drew, Thank tell you. us a little bit about figure eights of heartbreak. What about that song? Um, it was, it was, uh, another beat that I had bought from a friend of mine. And just when I listened to the loop, it just made me feel this pull into the past. Like I, it made me wonder about something that really could have been something beautiful, but it ended up not becoming. And that was like a relationship with, uh, this girl I used to know, uh, and even so, it was like such a profound experience in my life that, I, you know, I honestly really wasn't completely done with it in my heart until I made this song. And so this song was really like 
a wonderful therapeutic experience of uh, letting go and moving forward. Okay. Well, this is Figure Eights of Heartbreak um, by That Viola Kid. Japanese sunset to my left, the breeze on my neck, hear the beats in my head. Say cheese for me, please. Phone flash and I freeze. Traveling on the waste of time past. Poor dimension surfing with the board, I'm about to crash. Tidal forces pushing me under, I need to grasp. Memories on the surface of my mind. Thoughts of you drowning at the vast ocean of time. I'm putting pen to paper in a land far away. Shouldn't let it haunt me like it does to this day. Words long overdue, I never had the nerve to say. I guess that's just the price I have to pay I never understood the tears in your eyes They were like frozen snowflakes tumbling all through the night My terrorist theme was just for you, you listened to it right The enemy for you was real, but now we're out of time Cause I'm losing here to talk about your faults see way back when we could have had it all a dumbstruck love was not enough many things i should have done so you always knew that you were the one should have told you that i loved you every day for romantic every way proposals to make you quake fireworks over the lake midnight trips to stake and shake leaving you was a mistake all forever cherished portland maine on again off again back and forth infinity figure it's a heartbreak drove me to insanity wasn't right for many years not a single fling even started saving green so i could get a decent ring but that was many years ago it doesn't matter now i look back at what we had and can't help but to smile love and miss your mom and dad tell them i say hey i'll always put a piece of you in every note i play cause Man, I love it. So that is Figure Eights of Heartbreak. Um, the artist is That Viola Kid, and you can find it on Spotify. Um, that Viola Kid is Drew Ford, and you're back here on the Apex Hour listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. Drew, I just, I mean, I love it. I just think it's awesome. That's so cool. And the lyrics are so powerful. I mean, you put Thank a bit of her in every song. I mean, in every note you play. Wow. That's I always put a piece of view in every note I play. Yeah. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a really important statement. And then the viola work at the end is just so amazing. So it begs the question, what's next? Is it, uh, are we getting a whole album soon? Is that what's coming? (laughs) I hope so. 
I, I, I've been really searching for space um, from the current. See, what's so funny is like when this whole COVID-19 thing happened, like I lost all of my anticipated income for the foreseeable future. Right. So a lot of my time has been spent trying to figure out how do I continue to keep the lights on and the stress associated with that. Only since this month have I really been in a in a really inspired moment uh, with music again. I just kind of hated music. I hated yeah. the idea of music. I felt like music had let me down. Yeah. Because it couldn't keep me... Uh, at first, it couldn't really keep me feeling like uh, I had dignity oh, in wow. the society that I was able to, because I can, I, the whole point of what I do is getting together with people and sharing it. Yeah. So when you can't do that anymore, it's like, wow, did I just waste my life? Right. It's the emotions of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm, I, look, I, I, I've got my act together. Like I'm, I'm feeling a lot more comfortable and, uh, I'm finding emotional space to write. So I'm actually, I have like three or four tracks I'm like working on simultaneously and I'm trying to uh, start up some new music so I can just get enough body of work created so that I could drop an EP. I could drop a little uh, project that nobody was expecting. And, I love uh, it. Well, <laughs> so I'll tell you, I'm energy. excited. I hope you, I, I, I can't wait for, for doing more. And I, I appreciate your vulnerability and talking about how this year has been. And I, I know you're not alone. I mean, all of the mm -hmm. arts world, all of us in one shape or form have felt this to some extent. And I'm, I'm sure it can be very, um, comforting to our any of our artists listening to hear you know that that yeah we're not alone people are feeling these things and it's they're they're powerful feelings that we've had to go through this this year and find our way out of as you have so thank Especially you for sharing millennials that. yeah millennials out there my heart goes out to y'all straight up fellow millennials we had to take the the housing crisis on the chin and now we got to take this crisis on the chin yeah yeah uh keep keep your chin up though like, yeah we gonna, we gonna show everybody yeah that's right that's right as you are for sure um so yeah. we just have a couple minutes left and um really yeah. i just have a couple of quick playful questions for you sure. so the question that i ask everyone is um what's turning you on this week and it can be anything it doesn't have to be anything related to what we're doing it could be Ooh. a movie it could be a tv show it could be a book it could be a mm -hmm. magazine it could be we've had somebody say their favorite lipstick or a food item that they're <laughs> loving or whatever so my last question to you drew for that viola kid is what is turning you on this week? <sighs> I, I really wanted to be authentic. No, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna be authentic, but I'm not gonna say what I want to say because it's 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 not something I'm at liberty to talk about. Well, but, uh, what I will say is there is a YouTube. There are a bunch of YouTube creators who've really changed like my life and help inspire me to like figure out the direction that I want to go now because I don't want to be a daily vlogger anymore. Like I loved doing it and I loved how it was a medium for me to like learn how to make content, but it just felt like stuff people didn't really care about oh. and like stuff that like I, I wanted to like 
stop making. So it was like a beautiful, I just needed to figure something out. Johnny Harris, he is a journalist, storyteller, video creator who used to work for Vox. He used to run the Vox Borders series on YouTube. Uh-huh. Um, he's a wonderful storyteller. And I just saw a video of his called Why New York is So Big. And the thing I love about him is we're kind of kindred spirits in the fact that he's interested by simple things in the world. Like, like questions kids would ask, like, why is the sky blue? But then he breaks it down in such a fun way to where by the end of the video, you're like, oh, you can go and tell somebody else. Ah, You know, and I just love learning about things like that. So he goes through the history of how New York was a Dutch colony and they paid $27 for the land and how Long Island is a bulwark to invasion. And it's, it's, it's got deep ports very close to it that also are connect to fresh water through the Erie Canal and the great. So all of these different factors that you didn't think about. And tell me his name again, turn on Johnny Harris. Okay. He's one. Nare soul is another. Adam Neely is another. Uh, David Bruce, the David Bruce composer is another one. Tons of music uh, creators out there who are, Little bad snacks, my girl, bad snacks out there. So there's a ton of creators that I'm I'm just really, really, really inspired by. And that's what turns me on right now. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Well, with that, our hour is done. So we'll we'll say goodbye. And and Drew, just thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks. All right. Well, with that, I'm gonna sign off. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU's Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu slash apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.